Blog Talk Radio. Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Join America's leading relationship expert, top holistic life coach, and best-selling author, Dr. D. Yvonne Young, along with a diverse team of regular commentators, experts, and celebrity guests. Be entertained while being informed on the issues that affect you most. Don't miss it. Dr. D. Yvonne Young, providing you the tools you need to start living a profoundly extraordinary life. Good afternoon, America. Today is September the 11th, 2013, and I'm glad to have you on the program with us. You know, there is a very significant paradigm shift taking place in America. That paradigm shift is related to what is defined as the new as the new America. Now, the question is, what is that new America consisting of? Is it an America that is playing on a global economy? I know in Thomas L. Friedman's book, The World is Flat, we examine the, how the globe has gotten to be so interconnected racially that economics drive almost every nation on the face of this earth. Um, I was so amused when looking at um, the National Geographic Channel and I'm looking at this little cat that is in this my and this little village in Peru wearing a hat chewing on a straw with a mule and a llama outside, but he's on the internet so when i um when I was looking at this, I just started laughing you know I was like, you know these people don't have electricity, but they have a generator, and they are skyping so uh, what is taking place in our country? What are the things that are causing us to coalesce? What are the new coalitions? Well, in examining that, I found that one of the most significant changes is that we are no longer an Anglo-centric nation. Our country has truly evolved to become the melting pot that it was envisioned to be, and that melting pot is got some very big chunks of brown and black meat in it. By that I mean our Latin American brothers and our African American brothers and sisters are not only on the landscape, but they are dominating so many aspects of our culture. Um, some of the founding fathers, probably Thomas Jefferson, is spinning in his grave like a rotisserie bird right about now, but it is something that is inevitable. We are not going to escape it. And for those of us that wish to move forward and participate, not only in this country politically but economically, you might want to wake up and smell the manure because it is definitely brewing. The consensus between Hispanics and African Americans is the new paradigm shift. And when I say Hispanics, I am not just talking about Mexico. I am talking about Puerto Rico and Latin Americans that have migrated into this country. I am also talking about all the other cultures that are that are too numerous to name, uh, but I'll just throw some things out there. So, you know, our, South, our friends from South America that not only play a significant role in the American economy, we have companies here 
that like Bolero that dominate our landscape and participating in our economic fabric. In addition to that, when we look at the buying power that uh, Latinos and African Americans represent, we are buying over 60% of all goods that are manufactured in this country or imported into this country. So what does that mean? That means that we have an economic as well as a political base that is often overlooked. It's not noticed. Even publishers, uh, and and my guest today is definitely going to speak to this, but even publishers have lost millions of dollars because they're not looking at these communities and taking them serious. The television media, as well as print and radio, you will notice that almost every channel now has a significant amount of advertising directed toward these populations. With that stated, I want you to stop and think. If you're a business, if you are a entrepreneur especially, where are your dollars going to come from in the year 2013 forward? Who do you need to appeal to? Is this a time that it would make a great deal of sense to look beyond the limits of your fence? And I'm not going to just say race or the border being the north or south border, the coastal borders, but your mental borders. Isn't it about time that you willfully allow some immigration of new ideas and new neighbors? Because if you don't do this, you are not going to succeed in the 21st century. With that said, I have a guest today that um, I would like to bring on, and I guess within the next 30 seconds, let me make sure he is in studio uh, Julia, is Tony in studio? Yes, he is. Okay, sounds great. Uh, Julia, if you would be so kind, would you please introduce today's guest? Yes, we have a really amazing guest, Tony Diaz, also known as El Libro Traficante. Tony founded Nuestra Palabra, which is Latino writers having their say in 1998. He wrote the award-winning novel, The Aztec Love God, as well as his new work, The Protester's Handbook. He's truly a revolutionary presence in our society, and we're glad to have him on the show today. Hey, thank you, Julia. Tony, welcome to the program. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing great, Dr. V. What a a kind introduction, and uh, what a great way to introduce. This has got to be the most important topic of our time, so I'm thrilled to be here and talk about revising and revitalizing the American dream together. One thing I want to do, Tony, is uh, rather than go the typical route and having someone tell just the things that are associated with them uh, corporately or academically or even politically, tell America about Tony Diaz and what, um, what things or circumstances pressured or pushed you and positioned you to be who you are today? No, no, I would love to. And maybe in the process, we're going to see that we've got a lot of common ground and and maybe where I've faltered, other folks can help. And and, and likewise, I think um, for me, education is just so fundamental because my parents were migrant workers. Uh, In other words, they would be contracted farm to farm, they would go to pick crops. Um, this means 
my younger sisters, when they were should have been in, in third grade, would wake up at four in the morning, drive to a field, and pick blueberries. And this went on for for some time. I'm the last of nine, but when I was born, uh, my folks said, we want him to go to school. And they really made a huge effort to to do that. And even from a front, even as a young age, I had a facility for language, which was really fostered by me having to translate for my mother and father. So I would be there helping my dad speak to the salesman who only spoke English, helping him buy a refrigerator, and I was in second grade. And what I want our young to understand is that, yes, I would feel bad when I saw how this man would look at my father because I had to translate, but I would look back defiantly because I think, guess what? You don't speak Spanish, so you're, you're in the same boat. And, and I didn't know how to tell him he was wrong. I had to be respectful in front of my dad, but I knew that something was happening that none of us could explain. And for me, education is vital because in in one generation, Dr. V, we've gone where my family was working in the fields to where I represent my community on a national stage. And I think we're part of this generation that refuses to to let that be sacrificed for any of our young. And we demand that all of our young have that chance for education to level the playing field. And for me, that's really what shaped me is to, to really feel the power of education see it in danger, but be emboldened by the fact that our generation really can and is changing the world. Wow. I, one thing that I this comes to mind is uh, there's so much meat for us to talk about today, but since we're on education, um, a few years back, you organized a Texas-wide coalition to stop Texas House Bill 1938 and Senate Bill 1128, which could have effectively dismantled ethnic studies and women's studies in Texas colleges. Now, I'm going to translate that to some D. Von Young Ebonics real quick. <laughs> that was the system's way of erasing us and our history and our contribution to Texas history from the books and in letting it look like some Pollyanna, Anglo-centric crap when, in fact, uh, Texas has – it wasn't ever part of America for the longest. It was part of Mexico for those of us that are listening in Australia and Canada and on the islands. You know, you guys probably don't know about the Texas, uh, Texas history and how significant of a role it plays in the overall development of what we consider America, uh, present-day America. But, Tony, what was the deal – with that, and where do you think that agenda came from? Because I think that definitely connects to a uh, undercurrent as it relates to not only uh, Latino Americans but all Americans with an ethnic origin. No, no, exactly, and, and thank you for bringing it up because I think it's a vital issue that we need to keep informing each other of. And if we we smell similar legislation anywhere, we need to band together to, to, to stop it. And I did an essay for a group called uh, the Latino Rebels. Uh, people can Google it, but it's called the, the Libro Traficante Oppression Detection Kit. And there's some, of course, Arizona started the legislation by passing a law that eliminated 
Mexican American studies, and we're used to being um, oppressed so insanely by Arizona that some of it doesn't even register. So while our right now there's youth suing Arizona to overturn that law, but by supporting our brothers and sisters there, we learned how to identify this. And because we've been so directly attacked in Arizona, we we are already uh, organized to to fight back right away. I bring it up because this bill was snuck in on the last session for Texas legislation to submit it, and it was submitted right when spring break began. And if folks don't know, that is the oppressor's trick to sneak in this law while nobody's looking because all the professors would be away from campus. Uh, you know, the students who are a lot of the, the, the activists, they, they would be, you know, going back home. But one of our, uh, the Libra Traficantes from El Paso, she caught wind of this, and we started getting the troops together. This is a, a larger attempt, like you say. They try and make it sound innocent. The, the loss was maybe two paragraphs long, and what it said is that we will mandate comprehensive history for all Texas schools, and that would then make African-American history, Mexican-American history, women's history only count as electives, which we know then would mean that the dual credit programs that high school students take, they won't be signed into that. Uh, students won't take us one transfer. It would be the beginning of dismantling these programs. And th it's really this whole idea that we're not part of American history. When, when someone takes African-American history, they are studying American history, plain and simple. To decredit any of our history is an affront to all of us. Now, what, what's also going on, too, is that we don't have a strong black and brown coalition at the upper levels. But I tell you what, Dr. D, when I go to Poetry Slam, when we bring in authors, it's young African-Americans, young Latinos. It's a mix at those events. Now, you can walk into your typical university classroom and you don't see – enough of us there, but I see us when literature is there and we present it the right way, we're there. So it's this many-pronged attack to, to really keep us away from the books, and we've got to stay on our toes. That's really what's going on, I think. Wow. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a 60-second break, but I, if, uh, for those of you that are listening, listening domestically, you can hit us at 646-478-5610. That's 646-478-5610. You're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. We'll be right back in about 60 seconds.
You're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young, and I have a very uh, dear friend and special guest, Tony Diaz, is in in the house today. Uh, One thing that we were talking about is um, the removal of a racist contribution toward a culture, and I I think um, before we went to break, Tony was highlighting on that, but I want to take that a step further and just really uh, call it out for what it is. Back in the uh, back around the turn of the century, they had miscegenation laws which prohibited racial uh, interracial marriage and intimate relationships, even making it a criminal offense for an African American, a Hispanic, an Asian to marry an Anglo or vice versa. As a result, that was America's way of saying uh, basically what Adolf Hitler said is we want to keep this country pure and and keep it Anglo-Saxon and keep it um, and not let other people even be part of its history because if you can erase someone's history, if you can erase someone's contribution to something, then you basically have cut their legs off and you don't give them an identity. The heritage of this country is a shared heritage. If it were not for the Chinese workers on railroads, we would not have built the railroads, especially in the West. If it were not for African Americans, that most of this country would not uh, have the infrastructure in terms of the streets. A black man even designed the White House, for many of you that don't know that. And then when we look at all the things we take for granted, like the foods, the vet, the fruits and vegetables we eat, a lot of the labor that comes from our borders, and especially from our migrant workers who are good enough to come here and make sure you have food on your table, but these sorry-ass politicians don't think they're good enough to have their children benefit from adequate health care, education, and all the other things that if it weren't for them, we probably wouldn't be able to enjoy. With that stated, uh, I was doing a bit of homework, Tony, and I saw at, uh, at Arizona State University, the students have, uh, there's a Center for the Study of Race and Democracy, and they have the Black and Latino Coalition Project, which I'm sure John McCain is losing his damn mind right now. <laughs> but just to be totally honest about it, I think that that is something that I know at University of Houston, uh, I am an advisor uh, for one of our many programs there, and if, with, if within the context of those programs, we strive to get uh, students, traditional and non-traditional, non-traditional for you guys that don't understand, that's a nice way of saying old folks like us, um, <laughs> we, get, we, we create an environment that fosters synergy and participation and and we call that program at University of Houston the Urban Experience Program. Tony, with you being an author and an architect to help create uh, social paradigms and uh, social platforms, what can people do in their own communities to start fostering coalitions, especially between African Americans and Latinos? I, I think, too, what, what's exciting about that is we just need to take our our community organizing skills and flip the switch just a little bit because I think for example with the even with the authors networking summit there's going to be such a great mix of different cultures it's it's really just taking your network 
and lining it up with other established networks, which we're so far behind on this that just to do that several times get, goes goes a long way because, like, like I mentioned before, and, and again, at the at the higher levels, I get it. When people run for office, they have a constituency, and they want to deliver those votes, and they want to keep that power. You can't shake that vote. But at at other levels, at community levels, uh, I kid you not, I, I'm talking to you from uh, Lone Star College. I've just been appointed the director of cultural diversity here, and I just walk through all. I just walk through the hallways. Every classroom is African American and Latino youth, and we are. We get along. We have the same goals. Um, you know. Now it's just a step to say, well, how do we take that? Um, I think the art, especially the writing, is key. How do we get our? How do we express ourselves and appreciate ourselves? If we bring out the, the artistic side, I think that's big. And then reaching out to different groups in different ways. Now, I think um, the, the Authors Networking Summit is going to be fantastic because a lot of different folks are bringing in their perspective. What we get is a sampling, and then you can pick a book and get a deeper dose. At the end of the day, I have to say only art can save us because even here there's different poetry events that we do. We all get along fine there in a deep smart way something happens as we go through the typically accepted corporate ladders but i want to tell people if you if you're not gonna get into diversity because you love us do it because you're gonna make money okay um barnes and noble which is the big remaining chain they lost about 160 million dollars last year in the first quarter already of this fiscal year They've lost, they've bled more millions of dollars. And you and I both know they do not get into our community deep enough. And that's just one example of one business that if they don't change soon, they're going to go out of business. And we can go on and on and on and list them all. But I mention it, though, because we just have to take the tactics we have used to survive and thrive outside the system take it a little bit to the next level and it, they these will grow exponentially right at the same time that every mainstream system needs us both deeply and i think it's fun in the process and i think one of us will come up with this almost viral approach that that we're just all waiting for i think one thing i wanted to go back and uh just touch on I remember the term mulatto was a term that was um, used in slavery periods to define people that were of a mixed origin, and it was typically when slaves were the children of white men. Or, uh, And when I say slaves, many of us get it twisted. We forget about indentured servitude, where the slaves weren't all black. Some slaves, as a matter of fact, were German. Some slaves were English and what have you. And there were also Latin American slaves. And we always assume that um, this this dehumanization took place only in African Americans with regard to American history. But what I found really interesting was when I looked up the word mulatto, and I started looking at some of the other definitions. Uh, it came back as an adjective, and it had terms like ill, sick, unwell, mm. affected, and diseased. Now, what I what I want to say about that is this: that when a lot of our youth, 
and I'm talking about uh, Latino and African-American youth, they, they end up looking at what Hollywood created and what the music industry created, which was this bastardized, this out-of-effect model where you are a thug, you are a gangster. And these kids, because of an absence of parenting and, in my opinion, a good-ass whooping every now and then while they're growing <laughs> up, um, they end up going and joining gangs, and this ranges from Crips to Blood to MS-13. Once they get in the penal system, they are further uh, fostered in this atmosphere of division and hate and mm. criticism of one another when, in fact, that is the Willie Lynch system being used toward two mm. races mm. of broken youth. So what I want to uh, talk about in brief, Tony, is you mentioned that in the classroom we had, you, you're at this, uh, and for those of you that don't know, uh, Lone Star is actually, if it's not the largest, and I think it is the largest community college system in America, if I'm not mistaken, I think it is, but if it's not, it is in the top three, and when I say it's huge, it is absolutely huge. It's a partnership between several uh, four-year colleges that have a two-year program that feeds into these four-year programs. What I want to know, Tony, is when you look at our kids and you see the the blend, like I'm blended. In my ancestry, there's Hispanic blood, there's Creole blood, there's even Anglo bloods in there. And when you look at that, what can we do as corporate America, as parents, as social and faith-based organizations to create an atmosphere of inclusion and awareness about the potential power that these kids possess if they unify themselves and work as a coalition? That That's a really deep question, and I tell you what, I'm so proud to, to be talking to you right now because I can guarantee that this may be one of the only media outlets having this deep a discussion right now, but this discussion is so vital, so vital to our success and America's success. I'd like to start with two quick points. The prison system, if we had time to get into it, I would venture to say that this attempt to eliminate ethnic studies, all these courses have shown that our young will excel and graduate after they take these courses. The attempt to eliminate it is an attempt to get our students out of the educational pipeline and into the cradle to prison pipeline. That's one thing. Uh, what I would also add is that when we, we talk about gangs and some of these social issues, well, if we look at a four-year institute, the young men there, they wind up wearing colors, they wind up throwing up signs, they wind up getting initiations, and they become fraternities. It's the same sensibilities, the same tactics, but if channeled in a positive way, they're not breaking the law. And in fact, they create networks that help them advance professionally. We need to think of these, these systems the same way and realize our youth's, our youth's future and energy can be channeled one way or the other. We need to be in charge to, to click it. And, and, and what I would say, too, is there's, a, there's, a, there's very easy ways that I alluded to earlier to include uh, other groups. And it's, I think it's the professional groups and the artists that can do it quickly because we've got everything from, um, you know, 
a lot of professional or, or, or affinity groups, they have regular meetings that can easily overlap with their counterparts. Um, one quick example, I'll bet you that and every state has an African-American group of uh, MBAs and a Latino group of MBAs. Here in Houston, they work together. They keep working together. That, it's, it, some of that's that simple. More profoundly, this is exactly why we need the ethnic studies courses, because I think when we go in there, we're going to see that we're still suffering from this caste system that's been imposed on all of us. It's been called something different. In the U.S., it was called the one-drop rule. In Mexico, there were over 100 categories to come up with what the caste system was. I think once we look at it, we say, oh, okay, that's how come right now if you see um, a Boricua, one of my brothers or sisters from Puerto Rico, you, you might look at them and think, oh, this person's African-American, and they bust out in Spanish, right? <laughs> that We've been blending for a while now, but just like you say, because we're scared, we're scared what that would put us in the caste system. That's why people get, get scared of that. Because, and one quick note, I don't want to go too long on this subject. You mentioned earlier, there were white indentured servants. Well, what the system did, according to um, Howard Zinn's book, which is Brand in Arizona, The People's History of the United States of America, they started saying, oh, we can't have the, the white indentured slaves mixed with the African slaves. That would be a revolution. We need to create dissension among them. So they started giving the indentured white slaves a few more advantages. And that's still what's going on with us. So we do need ethnic studies to break through that in a longer-term example. I agree with that. Something that came to mind, and we're going to break it 34 after Julia, what what is going on, and I guess in my psyche right now is I was a uh, life coach to Mashimba, which is the National Hispanic MBAs, and just so uh, ironically, they I know they had a, a significant uh, event for the Black MBAs, and when I look at the the two organizations, what I see in both is that there is this tone, and I, and I don't think it's even intentional of being an elitist while we highbrow and look down at those of us or uh, the other populations, because I have an MBA, but the, um, they look down and, and almost just separate themselves from the populace. And I think that one thing that would be a great uh, topic for discussion in both arenas is how can we create an air of inclusion? How can we work uh, toward not only networking, but building a synergy and a coalition between these organizations. Because what is taking place is it, there's just what you said. Um, the term that I like to use is you get to be the house ninja, uh, Pastor Keith, if you're listening. I just used your word, and some of you will know <laughs> the word later. But, um, you know, you get, the, you get the person that works in the house, and they think they're better than the person that works in the field, when, in fact, you are both enslaved and don't even know it. Um, a greater commentary was someone asked Harriet Tubman about slaves and slavery and the mindset of the slave. And one of the things that they asked her was, you know, why couldn't you free more people? And her comment was, I would have freed more people had they only known that they were slaves. 
Wow. And I and I think that is uh, something that we, uh, as the melting pot culture, and when I say we, I am talking about all Americans, we should look and ask ourselves, how are we serving the greater good because the sum is no greater than its individual parts? If one part is bastardized, if one part is ostracized, if one part is almost let's just say annihilated, and you don't have to kill someone to murder their hopes and dreams. What mm. you can do is suffocate their humanity, and at that point you have a zombie effect on a person. And we can see it in our communities when we drive through any Latino or African-American community, and you see people sitting outside of a store that some poor Asian brother opened up and they are hating on that guy because he's the guy that actually decided to make a store accessible to you because Kroger and all of these big corporations damn sure are not going to, Whole Foods is not going to build a store <laughs> over in the hood if you think they are, you're crazy. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we do not only to empower each other but to stop other people from disempowering us. Anyway, you're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. If we can get to a question or a call, you can call us at 646-478-5610. That's 646-478-5610. We're here with Tony Diaz, and we're going to take a 60-second break, and we'll be right back. Leadership and focused the national attention 
on the exploitation of these people who were working, really though slavery, quote-unquote, had been outlawed for over a century, or at that time had been outlawed for about 75 years, these people were working in conditions that were almost exactly slave-like. They were abused, they were beaten in many cases, Many of them died in the very fields that they worked. And then I look again and I see the voice and the stamp of someone like Gandhi. And then I see Martin Luther King. And what all of these people, and I don't want to leave out Mother Teresa, you know, all of these people were very committed to the plight of the human condition. They were committed to everyone being treated with a sense of dignity and respect. What I want to ask you, Tony, is from your view, it is so easy for us to see a McCain or an idiot like Rush Limbaugh, uh, somebody uh, that comes on and with an obvious agenda to take our country back to uh, post-Civil War mindsets and, and, and belief systems. What do you see, Tony, that's taking place in the Hispanic and African-American, or should I say just the Latino, to make it broader than Hispanic, but the Latino community where people are basically practicing self-degradation and and having a genocidal mindset? Well, I think, um, and what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and maybe make some shorter answers because I really think, like we've been saying, we're scratching the surface of a dialogue that that is one of the most vital, vital dialogues America needs to have. So I'll kind of try and try and um, kind of pepper it with different um, different quick responses, so that maybe too we can get to even more points. But on this other note too, there's this illusion that people think that if they don't open their mouths, they will get ahead because. Like you were saying earlier, they think they will be CEOs. If someone is has their MBA and is middle management, they believe that they will be the CEO. One only needs to look at the number of people who are CEOs and realize, my friend, you will not be the CEO. And... You know, not to say that I'm not proud of all the successes we've had, but like you're saying earlier, sometimes when we get to a certain level, we do separate ourselves from the deeper parts of the community. And I just want to remind people that we have to just look at the bigger picture and look at some facts. Yes, there may be many many of us here as VPs, um, you know, even presidents of, of, of uh, different parts of colleges how many chancellors are we how many ceos are we um we still don't have enough senators and representatives at the national level so you know and we and we're happy because we have won the first african-american president that i mean that's wonderful but that's not enough we need from the top to the bottom so i only mention that to say that when we're very comfortable in our success if you're not going to stand up for us because you love us, do it for your own progress. Because if we all stay apart and splinter it, we're not going to all advance 
to the next level like like you mentioned like you mentioned earlier and i think again you brought up an issue that is not very easy to tackle and if you look at the way uh families were separated and there's there's been other uh intellectuals talking about this as well a lot of the college uh, students as well as different courses are talking about similarities between the way families are separated during immigration and the way families were separated during slavery. Um, even if you look at the dreamers, these are students who were brought here when they were very young by their parents. So they may have been brought here when they were one, let's say, and they've grown up in America. You'd be shocked to find out they were actually from, you know, born in Mexico or El Salvador because they, you know, they excel in school and they defy all stereotypes. They speak English and Spanish brilliantly. All stereotypes are defied. They are perhaps the equivalent of three-fifths American now. Uh, President Obama extended to them deferred action, which means they can now drive cars legally. They can now work legally. But th- these are just fundamental issues. In any major city, if you can't drive you've already, you know, had your legs cut off pretty much. Um, and to be in school, you have to work. So I just kind of want to put those bigger issues up and say there's many deep. People are not comfortable t- about talking about those similarities. And I go back to a caste system. Yes, okay, I have my MFA, I have my MBA. I'm just a higher level of the caste system. And we need to shatter that by completely excelling. Um, um, I'm not sure if that answered all the questions, but I, I do kind of want to introduce an answer because I think even as we speak, every topic we brought up could be a whole basis for a PhD. Yeah, you think. Something <laughs> I want to ask, uh, during this last election, immigration was the, um, I, I'm just going to say it exactly the way I'm feeling it, and if I offend someone out there, that's your problem. But the truth is immigration was used as a political it was used, in my opinion, as bait to attract the, the Latin American vote. I think that there were so many other issues out there that went far beyond immigration. Uh, one of my biggest things is I do a lot of mentoring, and my question is reforming the for-profit prison system, which is now the largest growing industry in America, and that industry involves slave labor, and I'm going to call it what it is because they have these kids that are between 18 and 25. I'm not going to talk about these old idiots that at 40 and 35 years old end up going to the pen. Your ass needs to go to the pen if you're stupid enough to be breaking the law at 40 years old. But I'm talking about these lost kids, the kids that didn't have a dad in the house, the kids that had a struggling mother that was working two jobs, the kids that never really had a fair shot at life. And we have this system that has been engaged with these for-profit prisons to take these kids and exploit their labor while uh, institutionalizing them and, and creating a lot of young bigots and a lot of young men that do not value life because how in the hell can you respect and love and honor other people when you don't respect, love, and honor yourself, and we are paying for that. Our country is not rehabilitating people. We are institutionalizing them, and that is my opinion, and I'll stand by it. 
Tony, what issues do you feel um, were just hidden from the political landscape during this last election and during these upcoming uh, state elections that are on the horizon? Well, I was um, doing commentary for uh, Al Jazeera English in D.C. during the elections, and what I said that day was this will be the last presidential election where immigration is, is seen as the only issue relevant to Latinos. And I'd like to kind of answer your question in terms that other folks can convey to other conservatives, because even the the conservative party itself, they issued their growth and opportunity project. And in it, they did, they did, uh, they did point out that they've been overlooking um, people, uh, not just different ages, different races, different ethnicities, different cultures for Latinos. They pointed out that their stance on immigration was alienating um, Latinos. What is completely overlooked especially as you're pointing out now, are all these other problems. The next biggest problem I would put on there that is the make-or-break issue, especially because it's right on the noses of a lot of conservatives, is this attack on ethnic studies. And Arizona is, point zero, is, point, is ground zero for the far-right racist. Um, Jam Brewer has unleashed the most discriminatory legislation that I can remember for a long time. And we're all used to her making uh, our community illegal because that was the basis of the show your papers laws that spread. And not many people know that she was also the one that signed Arizona House Bill 2281 into law, which prohibits courses that promote the overthrow of the government. And uh, Dr. D, that's what they're saying about Max American Studies. If you take Max American Studies, you are taking a course that promotes the overthrow of the government. And this has angered people like me. And I'm sorry, but I'm not scared to express myself versus some of my brothers and sisters who are either undocumented or work with the undocumented, and we do work with uh, undocumented communities, we cannot take up their cause unless they set the tone. Because if you're undocumented and you're at a march, you've been identified as being undocumented. You could get deported. Um, if you're the head of a household, all of a sudden what happens to your kids? Um, if both families get deported, what do you do with the kids who are American-born here? That was tricky. But when she went and messed with Mexican-American studies, she's messing with people like me who are born here. I speak English pretty good, too, and uh, I'm going to stick up for myself and my community. And what what the mainstream media has overlooked and what the far-right and middle-of-the-road conservatives have overlooked is that we're infuriated. Here in Texas, I think the most vulnerable demographic to um, to the message of the conservative party were middle-class Mexican-Americans who were professionals. That was until they started banning Mexican-American studies. And they, that is changing them because they're saying, you know what, I, even with immigration, they said, I thought the party just wanted to really make laws fair, but if you're going after 
ethnic studies, I'm offended and I'm and I'm mad and I'm going to do something about it. So I've seen a lot of a lot of the middle class that typically stands on the sideline jumping on board and getting really really mad and active. That's just one of the many issues. Um, cradle to prison pipeline. Um, I'm sorry, but if you're a 20 year old valedictorian, but you just happen to not have uh, a certain paper and you're caught driving you're in the system. Um, you know, we, we know that our youth are more prone to being racially profiled. Um, I tell you what's really going to, what's really going to unite many of us is the voting rights act, especially with the Supreme court abandoning us and saying that everything's fine. Everything is not fine here in Texas, but that, that simple fact that we can't count on the Supreme court anymore, that's uniting African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, Latinos. The immigrant community was already active. I really think we're at the end of the Freedom Summer, and we're coming up to these fall elections where people are going to be blown away by what's happening here in Texas. Um, can I throw out one quick statistic, Dr. D? I don't want to take too yeah, much yeah. time. Yeah. Wait, I want you to do something, Tony. I want you to hold yes. that thought because I just want to make a comment. Uh, Ronald Reagan said that Latinos were Republicans, but they just didn't know it yet. But the GOP needs to work harder to increase uh, the appeal to this vital constituency. Now, here's my take on that, and and it's probably going to play into the statistic you're about to quote. Reagan knew that if he would make such a statement, and with the assumption that most African Americans were Democrats, that it would automatically cause a subversion or an alienation between Hispanics and African Americans, and political rift would be the way to do it. Now, America, I want you to stop and think. When you get behind closed doors, the people that run this country are not Democrats or Republicans. They are a whole new breed of beast. I call them opportunists. Those opportunists are doing what is called gerrymandering. Now, what gerrymandering is is the practice that attempts to establish a political advantage because you redistrict or redraw the lines for uh, voting blocks and what have you, and you do it in such a way that you minimize the opportunity for an incumbent to be defeated, especially or you increase the opportunity to defeat an incumbent that you do not want in office. And as Tony was talking about the Voting Rights Act being the last slap in the face to us, and which it definitely is, because that affects Hispanics, that affects uh, African Americans, that affects Asians, that affects anybody that has just gotten to play in this political system. So here's a couple of things I want to say and then quote your statistics, Tony. Next time, get off your behind and go vote and quit complaining about things and go do something about it because sitting around uh, popping a top and talking shit is not going to help you solve this problem. What's going to solve this problem is voting these bigots that think we're stupid out of office, okay? The first thing. Now, Tony, quote your statistic. When people keep keep talking about the, in the last election, People keep talking about Texas as just it's going to be Republican and that's that. Well, if you look at the numbers, 57% of Texas did vote for, for Mitt Romney. However, that's 15% out of 8 million voters 
there's more 15 million registered voters in Texas. And, and every month, tens of thousands of young African-Americans and young Latinos are turning 18 every month, every month. So that I want people to understand that the power is within our reach. And I don't think that come before November comes, we're, we're not going to be able to come up with the, the, um, a unifying theme or meme, but we are also angry and offended that as long as we keep acting and pushing it's going to be where all our paths come together at this critical mass. So with, I think with even just that last election, the other thing I would add too is that that 57%, that is the maximum amount turnout that the, the far right could have had because, of course, you had Ted Cruz. You had a, a Republican on Republican violence. You had Ted Cruz fighting, uh, was it Dewhurst, one of those guys, right, for – for uh, the job, and I remember I had people in other other states calling me about it. There were so many commercials about it. They they dumped so much money on airtime that they activated their entire base. They showed exactly how many votes they have. And I tell you what, with people like Dan Patrick trying to pass bills that um, that infringe on ethnic studies, and with the you know Governor Perry, the, Governor Perry actually vetoed one and a half million dollars in funding that was already allocated allocated for Mexican American studies at the University of Texas, and you know the list goes on and on and on. But well, I want to say this, Tony. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I just want to stick this in. No, please. Uh, I, I think uh, Rick Perry has already demonstrated, without a doubt. Uh, well, I'm going to quote something. It says, you know, it is better to remain quiet and not let anyone know or not know that you're a fool rather than to open your mouth and confirm (laughs) it. And Governor Perry definitely opened his mouth. But with respect to Republican candidate uh, Mitt Romney, he made the infamous statement saying 47% of the country wouldn't vote for him because they paid no income tax and are dependent on government. Uh, the truth be told is that the Center for Tax Policy actually came up with some numbers and was really funny. It's 43% of the country pays no federal income tax, but, however, they aren't, where it says they aren't paying those taxes, they do pay payroll taxes and they pay for Medicare and Social Security and sales taxes, including local, state, and other taxes, and also 29% of the uh, households in that 43% included people who work and contribute, uh, and 10% are the elderly. 3% don't pay taxes because they make less than $20,000 a year. So anybody uh, can take numbers and massage them to make themselves look good. Here's where I want to go, Tony, because I know we're winding down on this thing. You are going to be uh, available for people to meet you uh, write this down, you guys. It's um, I'm not going to say the www. You know that comes with it. Authors. That's authors plural. A u t h o r s networking summit. I'm going to repeat it. Repeat it again. Authors networking summit. Uh, I know you're going to be uh, at that summit. I think the date on that thing, Julia. What is the exact date of that summit? It's on October 5th, and just to clarify, you were giving people the website, so authorsnetworkingsummit.com, but on October 5th, 
And where is it located? It'll be in Houston, Texas at the TBH Center. And if they go to the website, they can find out all about it. Um, And there's early bird rates for a short time only. So we welcome them to visit the website soon. Okay. And uh, with that state, the reason I wanted to bring that up, ladies and gentlemen, is that Tony is going to be at that um, summit, and there's going to be a lot of really, really cool content that he is going to discuss, and you can meet him in person and talk about some things that um, are I, I think you will just find really informative. Tony, would you tell us about, we've got about four minutes before we wrap, you have a new book out that people, real, well, you have a couple of books out, but the new one uh, is something that is quite significant. Could you tell us the name of that book and where people can pick it up? Yes, and uh, I really do look forward to, to meeting folks at the at the Authors Summit. I think what's unique about it as well is that it is bringing so many different communities together. You, you hear a little bit about each of our stories, but then you have a chance to, to learn more about us through the work. And what I love, too, is it's at TBH Center, which is Talento Building with Houston at 333 South Jensen. If folks haven't been there... One of the groups I'd started, Nuestra Palabra, Latino Word is having their say about, oh my goodness, 15 years ago, we once once we outgrew Chapultepec Restaurant because we had too many people, that's what we used to convene. So for for us and our crew, it's very nostalgic and it, it, it's very touching for folks to come to, to 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 our facility. And now, of course, I'm not on the board of directors, but. When I say our facility, it is this home to the community. And um, it really, you mentioned earlier, what are some ways that we can collaborate? That is one of them to say, hey, you know, let's throw this party at your house. Wow, okay, you know, come, come to our house. So this is a chance if folks are not familiar with Talento Building with Houston, it's a beautiful art center. They have a great stage, they have great art exhibits. It's open to the whole community, and it'll be a great day of reading and writing. Uh, my newest book is called The Protester's Handbook, and it is a multimedia presentation. I just finished the, the, um, the, the old, the old <laughs> delivery system version, the novel, uh, so that's in my agent's hands, but it's also multimedia and also a live performance as well. And this is the evolution of all the work that we've done as not just artists, but also activists fighting the oppressors in Arizona, fighting them here in in uh, Texas. But it's also about the Renaissance. We are on the verge of a Renaissance. And there has to be decadence right before it, the decay, which we've seen. So the whole idea is just to shed light on it, inspire folks to hang in there because this beautiful future that many great thinkers imagined before. So it's going to happen in our watch, Dr. D. And I'd love to, to chat and commiserate with folks about that. And thank you so much for, for all that you do and for this chance for me to get to talk to, to, to some new friends. Well, I, we appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Tony Diaz. If you want to check Tony out, you can go to TonyDiaz.net. That's T-O-N-Y-B-I-A-Z dot net and get in contact with Tony. There's a contact number there. Uh, some of the things, pro- wonderful, wonderful projects that he's working on as well as other factors. Well, in closing, I want to say a couple of things. 
this show definitely is um, just scratching the surface of the landscape as it relates to a paradigm shift in power in the United States in terms of economic power as well as political, social, and cultural power. Um, Where are you? What are you doing? Are you just sitting down talking a lot of crap while you hit that spigot on that box of wine, or are you getting off your butt and getting out in the community and making a difference? How are you modeling yourself? Are you saying insensitive, ignorant stuff in front of children that allow them to further their bastardization of a complete race of people because you had some fool pour that poison into your mind? I think it's high time that each one of us took responsibility for not only the things that we say but the things that we do, and moreover for the contribution that we make into the lives of our children. With that said, um, I appreciate you guys listening to the program. Be sure and tune in on Sunday night at 7.30. We're going to have some more content that I think you will find simply fascinating. Anyway, thank you for sharing your lunchtime love with me. And you already know I'm going to say it. If you want someone to love you and can't find them, who else can do it better than you? Anyway, I love you. Have a fantastic weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. This has been Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Bye-bye.